What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to Part-Time Genius, a production of iHeartRadio. Guess what, Will? Oh, that's right. Will is not here today. Actually, before this episode, Will told me he loves Teddy Ruxpin and Teddy Pendergast but he has zero interest in Teddy Roosevelt, which is what today's episode is all about. So, of course, I let him off the hook. But me? I love Teddy Roosevelt. And one of the things I love most about him is that every story you hear about the man is better than the last. He gave the White House its name. He invited the first black man over for dinner there. He made things like national parks, but he also tried to bring hippos to the U.S. as a meat source. Like, he actually wanted to farm hippos in the bayou and get people into hippo bacon. He walked his pet bear around on a leash, and one time in Montana, this guy called him Four Eyes, and even though the dude had two loaded guns on him, Teddy casually knocked him out. I mean, the stories are insane, but I have so many questions from uh, whether Roosevelt once actually climbed a mountain out of spite to what were Teddy's productivity life hacks, and also what is big stick energy. So we're diving into all of that. Let's dig in. Hey there, podcast listeners. It's Mangesh Atiler. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and my co-founder, co-host, Will Pearson, decided not to come in today. It is such a mistake because Lowell is wearing a shirt with the words Emily Spinach on it. It's got a picture of a cartoon garter snake, and I'm guessing it has something to do with Teddy Roosevelt because he always plans for these things. But we'll have to ask our guest today about that. But I am here with the wonderful Aaron McCarthy. Aaron is the editor-in-chief of Mental Floss, a, a position I used to have years ago. 
And she's an old friend. Some of her interviews and articles are still some of my favorites on the site. She's the one who told me all about Jelly Belly's disastrous attempt to make a pizza-flavored jelly bean. <laughs> and uh, also the oral history of Trapper Keepers. But uh, today she's here to talk exclusively about a different obsession, Teddy Roosevelt. Hey, Aaron. Hi. So I want to get into your new podcast, History Versus, which is all about Teddy Roosevelt. And I'm not sure if you know this, but uh, I years ago, I desperately tried to get Teddy Roosevelt on the cover of Mental Floss. I did not know. I mocked up a, a version of him cutting, like, karate chopping a board, like, in a judo <laughs> outfit, and, and uh, no one else dug it. But uh, it's still in <laughs> the archive somewhere. What were they thinking? <laughs> so tell me, how is it that you got so obsessed with Teddy Roosevelt? So, you know, I feel like when you work at Mental Floss, history is kind of your thing. It's your just jam. like, yeah, I mean, it's just like it somehow becomes part of everything that you do. And so, you know, I knew a little bit about him. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, the conservation president, um, he liked to hunt things. And that was sort of where my knowledge ended. And then I took a fateful trip to the Strand bookstore. Mm -hmm. And I was just kind of wandering and looking at the shelves as I want to do. And I saw Colonel Roosevelt by Edmund Morris. And I was like, okay, I'll just like pick this up and I'll read this. Like, I don't know that much about TR. It's going to be interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't know it was the third book in a trilogy. <laughs> um, so <laughs> I, I read it and uh, it was amazing. I cried at the end on the subway like a real weirdo. And so then I had to go back and read the others. And then it was just like, you know, full speed ahead from there. I was just like, did you know that Theodore Roosevelt did this? And did you know that he did this? And now I just can't stop talking about him ever. And, and now I'm making a podcast about him, so it's great. It and uh, it, it didn't confuse you to start with the third one? Like, like It wasn't like starting with Back to the Future 3 or something? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I was just kind of like, hmm, maybe I should have gone back to get the other ones, but I just did, <laughs> like it just didn't even occur to me. And by then I had bought it. So I was like, well, you know, I'm just going to read this. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you go back and, and I actually, I feel like I, I read them. I read the third one, the first one, and then the second one. So it was like really weird. Um, <laughs> but I came out of it knowing so much more about him and just being totally obsessed. So It's amazing how your series is structured because it's like history versus and then different aspects that Teddy Roosevelt's battling. And, and I want to start with time because I have no idea how he managed to get so much into a day. Oh, me either. Me either. And it's just... Baffling. Baffling. <laughs> like it makes you tired yeah. when you read about how productive he was. I just strive for that energy every single day. Yeah. <laughs> every day. Well, I mean, even as a college student, you think like college students should be lethargic or whatever, but mm -hmm. like like his schedule that you lay out is insane, right? Yeah. And I mean, that's part of what made him so productive was that he just had this devotion to a schedule. And what he would do is he would block out his time, which allowed him to be more productive. You know, I spoke with productivity experts and they were like, this is the key. Really? Like, obviously, he had a lot of energy, uh -huh. which helped a lot. But, you know, he was just really, really focused and he blocked out his time. And apparently, all the super productive people in history, well, maybe not all of them, but many of them yeah. do that. You know, they'll say, this block of time is for reading my book. And, you know, he had this schedule from when he was on the campaign trail. And it was literally every hour to half an hour was blocked out. He had something else going on. And that allowed him to be super focused and super productive. Well, the other thing is he was also like, not only was he reading and doing all these things and writing letters, but... He was just giving speeches nonstop, too, oh, right? all the time. It's insane. I wonder if he ever got tired of the sound of his own voice, because, like, I sometimes get tired of the sound of my own voice <laughs> <laughs> as I'm sitting in the studio podcasting, like, ugh. I read somewhere that he had a distinctive voice, though, too, right? He did. He spoke with this really distinctive style, and some people actually think he had a speech impediment as huh. a kid. 
but he had this kind of high-pitched voice, and he would distort words. So there's this story that Edmund Morris tells about how uh, when he was in the New York State Assembly, he would just yell, Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, like 40 times just over and over <laughs> until the speaker would acknowledge him. You know, so he was, he, he was a weirdo. They always talk about his teeth. One of my favorite things that I learned from this podcast is that people talked about his teeth all the time. And so when he was police commissioner of New York, vendors, street vendors used to make these whistles and they were Roosevelt whistles and they had his his teeth. Really? Them. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I'm assuming they were really cheap because I can't find any of them on eBay. I've looked. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like his teeth were just so um, Prominent. distinctive, huh. you know, just like really white and square. And he was always just like, chomping on words. That's funny because I, I guess if you think about like the caricatures of him, they do have that, mm-hmm. but it's not something that I, I picked up on. Well, now you're going to notice. <laughs> <laughs> well, he also used to put those teeth to good use for meals, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was a, a big eater. Oh, big eater. Yeah. Huge eater. Yeah. And, you know, like pretty plain stuff. You uh-huh. know, he wasn't like um, into super duper fancy foods, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, he ate a lot. So when he wasn't being as active, he got kind of chunky <laughs> and it made him sad. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah. The other thing I didn't realize was how much coffee he drank. So much. Yeah. So like a gallon a day. Yeah. I mean, and what was his his son said something like his coffee mugs resembled a bathtub? Yeah, it's more in the nature of a bathtub. Yeah. And actually, if you go to the birthplace in New York, Mm -hmm. they have like a teacup of his and it's huge. It's it's huge. Really? Um, Yeah, it's it's really big. And now at the gift shops in some places, they actually sell a Bull Moose coffee mug that's like really big. So I obviously bought one um, and I drink my coffee out of it exclusively now because I too have a bit of a caffeine problem. <laughs> Not that badly, but yeah. pretty pretty bad. Well, tell me a little bit about his childhood because I feel like you think about Teddy Roosevelt and you imagine him as this super rugged person, which he was, but he grew up in New York City partially? Yeah, so he was born in New York City in 1858. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he was born to a very wealthy family. His father, uh, the family business was plate glass importing. Really? But, yeah, it's <laughs> weird, right? And I think his father was eighth generation Dutch New Yorker, Uh but his father, Thie, was basically a professional philanthropist. He gave money away like Mm -hmm. crazy, and he supported a lot of causes like the the Newsboys Lodging House, and he would bring the kids along to go down there, so service was like a a really big part of his life growing Mm -hmm. up. His father also was part of the founding of the American Museum of Natural History and the Metropolitan Museum of Art, so like this guy was just giving away money, uh, making it rain towards worthy causes all the time. So T.R. was born. He was the second child, first son. He had his first asthma attack at age three. Hmm. And he had asthma so badly that he would have to sleep sitting up. His parents really didn't think he was going to live to see his fourth birthday. Oh, wow. They would make him drink black coffee and smoke cigars to try to get him to, like, (laughs) breathe, which makes no sense. But, you know, at that day, it was, or in that day, it was, you know, that was the cutting edge. And, you know, when when your kid is sick, you're willing to do basically anything that you think is going to help. So, sure. um, you know, his father would put him in the carriage and and go for these wild rides down the road trying to force air Just into TR's lungs. Air, yeah, yeah, to try to get him to to breathe. And, huh. you know, back then, I mean, asthma is still, it can be fatal today. Yeah. Uh, but back then it was, it was really bad. So, yeah, he was this, this sickly little kid, but well-traveled. So, you know, they lived in New York and the family would go out. They would spend summers in New Jersey or out on Long Island just mm-hmm. to kind of get the 
the fresh air. Uh Tiara and his mother would go to these, like, health spas Uh where they would take the waters or do whatever it is that you did in that day to try to make yourself healthier. Um, And they toured Europe, and they did the same sort of thing over there. So, yeah, he had this kind of crazy, crazy childhood where he was all over the place and, uh, you know, just like a sick, sick little kid. And then when he was a teenager or just about to be a teenager, his father said to him, you have the mind but not the body. And so you have to build your body. And so now we think of him as this robust guy, and he really built himself up to be that robust guy. He basically, they built a little gym out on the piazza, and he would be out there, like, lifting weights and doing pull-ups. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it's, it's... In the prison yard. <laughs> yeah, basically. Like, that's kind of what it was like. Although I guess there was, like, a, a beautiful garden in the back yard or whatever. So he would be like lifting weights and looking out over the garden. And um, and uh, and then he took up boxing because he actually took this trip up to, I want to say Moosehead Lake in Maine, but he met these kids on the stagecoach on the way up there and they just beat the crap out of him. Huh. And so, you know, he's like, I've been lifting weights for two years. Why can't I like take on these kids? And so yeah. then he was like, I'm going to take up boxing. And so <laughs> um, he became a lifelong boxer, at least until he got punched in the eye and lost part of the site in his eye as president. At the White House. At the White House, yeah. yeah. which is crazy. Yeah, and then it was like no more boxing. Yeah. So that's when he took up judo. Huh. <laughs> Anything to stay active. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of the Jersey Shore where like all these people <laughs> can't fight, but they lift weights to oh, such yeah. a degree. Yeah. But if you have that much focus towards any activity, I'm sure you just get great at it, right? Like if you yeah. had that same focus as a child, mm-hmm. you know. Like, well, and I mean like, and he applied that same focus to everything he did, like, mm. all throughout his life. Yeah. So, you know, and I mean, I think it helped that his father was the one to kind of push him. Mm-hmm. He worshipped his father. Yeah. And you can sort of see how that plays out throughout the rest of his life in a lot of really interesting ways. But yeah. his father told him, weakness is a shame and often a sin. Hmm. And you can imagine if you worship your father and your father tells you that, like, what would happen or how you would act down the line to kind of not be... Mm. not show your weakness. So whenever he has any kind of major tragedy in his life, he just is like, he doesn't show it. He doesn't talk about it. He acts like it didn't happen. Yeah. And I think you can trace that back to not wanting to show weakness. Ah, there's so much good stuff, but we need to pause more with Aaron after the break. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at slash hypergig for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Okay, so we're here with Aaron McCarthy and Mental Floss talking about Teddy Roosevelt. As a child, I know from the podcast that he had a snapping turtle that he, like, strapped to a sink or something. Yeah. And he tried to train a woodchuck. Is yeah, that- <laughs> yeah. So he... <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think it was. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, he was going to try. Right. So he, you know, growing up in New York, you sort of feel like maybe you're not going to see a lot of nature. But there's actually a lot of nature all around you in Uh, New York, which I can attest to. Sure. So one day he was walking down the street. He was going to like get strawberries from the market or something. And he saw a dead seal at the market. And it just kind of like changed his whole life. In New York, yeah. It had been swimming in the harbor and somebody killed it. And and, (laughs) which, poor seal. Yeah. But, you know, they brought it up and they, I guess, were trying to sell it or something. Sure. And so he saw it and he was like, I need to know everything about this seal. So he was measuring it and he really wanted to to bring it home with him, which yeah. I can only imagine what people would have thought um, at his house. But he ended up bringing the skull home. And then that sort of kicked off this obsession with nature. And so he would just bring things home, living, dead. He'd keep them in his room. He had the snapping turtle. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there were some squirrels that he um, raised by hand or something. I mean, he <laughs> was just obsessed with, obsessed with nature. Yeah. And it's a funny thing, too, because, you know, I think today we kind of think to ourselves like, well, how could someone who loved nature so much go out and hunt like he did? Yeah. As someone told me, that's a very like 21st century attitude. Yeah. Back in the day, there wasn't a difference between being a hunter and a scientist. Yeah. You know, if you wanted to know about animals, if you wanted to study them, you kind of had to kill them and see what made them work. And so he he did that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so. No, it's hard, hard to reconcile those things, right? Mm-hmm. Like my, It is now, yeah. Yeah. But not back then. It was yeah. just, it was, it was the thing. One thing that I think is is interesting that came up in the course of researching this is that, you know, a lot of hunters of that day were the first conservationists yeah. because they could see, you know, that animal populations were depleting. And so they said, you know, we need to take care of these. Like if we want to still be hunting them many years in the future, we mm-hmm. need to make sure that the populations are managed. Yeah. And so you'll see that in, you'll see that today, like if you are a hunter and you pay for a hunting license, a lot of times that goes back to conserving animal populations, protecting animal populations. Yeah. You know, so if you pay for a permit to shoot a bear, which makes me sad, but it's a thing that happens, mm-hmm. um, that goes back to to helping bears. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things. I'm actually surprised more people didn't yell at me about that nature episode <laughs> because I'm a big believer in scientific collections. Yeah. That's a thing that's kind of controversial these days. Yeah, I mean, they inspire so much wonder, mm-hmm. you know, and, and just being at the museums and stuff. Mm-hmm. If you couldn't have seen all these wonderful taxidermy things, mm-hmm. right? Like, it's hard to imagine being 
as interested in in animals, at least for me. Yeah. And, you know, they have in in the back rooms of museums, they have just drawers and drawers filled with specimens. You took me once. We we went to see like the the hippos, uh, hippo skulls, which was incredible. They're so cool. They're massive. They're huge. (laughs) It's like, how can you figure out, for example, if mercury levels are rising in the world's oceans? Well, you can go back and you can look at the feathers of seabirds in Mm. scientific collections and you can prove that mercury is rising in the ocean. Yeah. If you didn't have those specimens, you couldn't make that discovery. Yeah. So they're that's kind really of important. The way that scientists collect today is not like it used to be. I mean, I feel like, yeah. especially for TR, he would go out and he would just be just like, bag stuff. I'm a bag, everything <laughs> I can bag. I um, remember and it's for science. in high school, I, I saw Bill Clinton was going to Africa and they were contrasting his trip there with, like, uh, Teddy Roosevelt's, mm. and it just listed out all the animals he shot. Hundreds like and hundreds. 500 animals Hundreds of animals, yeah. Yeah, and they went to the Museum of Natural History. They went to the Smithsonian. There are some, like, I guess, ticks that came from those animals or in a collection of ticks down in Georgia or something. Yeah, and imagine <laughs> that, crazy. yeah. And I was like, I want to go there, but maybe one day. <laughs> well, the other thing that's interesting to me is that uh, Roosevelt... You think of him as such a collector, right? He has mm-hmm. this like little museum in his house uh, or in his room or whatever, and 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 he's always contributing to things and whatever. Jefferson also kind of had that inclination, right? Mm-hmm. Like he he collected fossils and whatever. But Roosevelt did not like oh, Jefferson, he right? Hated him so much. Hated him. Why is that? Well, one, Jefferson was a constitutionalist, right? So he really believed. At least my understanding of it is, he believed that the president's powers were limited to what was written specifically in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. And I think he kind of bent the rules a little bit for the Louisiana Purchase, but Mm -hmm. otherwise it was basically like the Constitution is what it is. And TR was was a Hamiltonian, and he sort of thought, well, you know, if it's not expressly forbidden by law or the Constitution, Mm -hmm. I can kind of do what I want. (laughs) And, um, And he did. So I think it has something to do with that. He also had an issue with the way that Jefferson dealt with George Washington or, like, tried to undermine George Washington. Mm -hmm. And Washington, T.R. held up to a pretty high—he put him on a pedestal, Mm -hmm. um, not as high as the pedestal he put Lincoln on. Yeah. But, you know, he thought Washington was pretty great. Well, that that was a funny line in in your show, was was talking about how, uh, you know, he loved Lincoln, but but less enamored with his neighbor Jefferson. He hated Jefferson. He hated Jefferson so much. (laughs) And what's so funny is that at Sagamore Hill, Roosevelt's Long Island estate, there is a portrait— of Jefferson hanging, I think, like, on the second or third floor. And as we were touring it, I said to Tyler Coliberta, who's the education technician there, uh-huh. like, what's what's this doing here? And he goes, you know, I have no idea. That's really funny. It's just they a just prank needed that Alice some put things. up. I know, I know. It's like somebody's <laughs> fooling around here. Somebody's that's, playing a little trick. That's pretty funny. So uh, tell me about his obsession with Lincoln, because it starts when he's pretty young, right? Yeah, well, so his father actually worked with Lincoln. I get so confused about the times. Like, 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 like the fact that he like his, he kind of interacts with Lincoln because of the lock of hair in some way, mm-hmm. right? But 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 also, like, doesn't he have, like, a, a Dr. Seuss uh, <laughs> incident as well? I, I feel like... He does, yeah. History I mean, is so strange in terms of how far it expands. And basically, it's like, if something crazy happened in the time when Theodore Roosevelt was alive. Theodore Roosevelt was basically there or involved in some way. <laughs> but start with start with the Lincoln. So Lincoln. <laughs> so his father worked with Lincoln on this program that would... Okay, well, let me back up. So Theodore Roosevelt's father did not go to 
war, didn't, mm-hmm. didn't sign up for the Civil War. He paid someone to go in his place. Sure. And that is because, he or was at least rich. partially because, well, yes, but not really. I think he probably still would have gone, except that his wife was a Southerner. And her brothers were fighting in the war, and she could not bear the idea of her husband potentially fighting her brothers. Mm -hmm. And I think she also did a little bit of the guilt trip, like, um, you know, if you died, I've got all these kids, and like, please don't go Mm -hmm. to war. Um, So he didn't. He paid someone to go in his place. You know, there was probably a little bit of guilt there. And so what he ended up doing was working with the Lincoln administration to create this program that would allow soldiers to send money home to their families. And so he actually traveled a lot during the war, um, signing soldiers up for that program. So he wasn't home a lot. And when he wasn't home, TR's health took a nosedive, which is a whole other thing. So he worked with Lincoln in that capacity, and they even went to church together one time. Mm. So big Theodore and Uh little Theodore, both big union guys, Uh Mitty, not so much, and her mother and sister were in the house as well. So it was like a nation divided divided. and a house divided. (laughs) Um, So it was kind of a delicate time. So he really revered Lincoln for that, and he also revered Lincoln for keeping the country together Mm -hmm. in a time of great strife. And so his, when he was um, sworn in for the first time, he was elected. So he ascended to the presidency when McKinley was assassinated. But then when he was elected of his own right, um, his secretary of state, John Hay, gave him a ring with Lincoln's hair in it. Mm. And John Hay had been Lincoln's secretary of state as well. And so he kept that his whole life. And it's at Sagamore Hill, along with a portrait of Lincoln that's basically looking down at his desk. So he really... Loved Lincoln. He thought he was like the perfect person. It is interesting to me that Teddy Roosevelt not only took his presidency so seriously, right? Mm-hmm. Like he he'd never take a photo of himself in tennis whites, right? Yeah. Like all these things. But can you talk a little bit about how he and Taft had a falling out? Because they were really good friends, right? Yes, they were extremely good friends, very very close. And actually, Taft was TR's handpicked successor to the presidency. Hmm. And so as soon as they decided, like Taft is going to be the guy, Taft didn't even want it. Taft hmm. wanted to be a Supreme Court justice. And yeah. he would have been cool with that. But his wife was really ambitious and she was like, you have to be president. And Taft mm. was like, fine. Which I, is kind of indicative of how Taft was with everything, right? He mm. kind of let himself be bullied or pushed into things. And so the minute that TR decided this is going to be the guy, he starts sort of coaching him, you know, like, don't let people see you golfing. It's bad form. You know, I don't let people take a photo of me in my tennis whites. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that makes him a modern president was that he cared very much about his image huh. and the image he projected and how people perceived him. Mm-hmm. And Taft didn't care. He just wanted to golf and fish and do what he wanted to do. And um, and so he ascends to the presidency or he's elected president. TR goes off to hunt in Africa for a year and he comes back and Taft is is sending him these letters where he's basically whining about how he can't get anything done and he can't lose weight and, you know, <laughs> oh, Teddy, come visit me. And TR is like, mm, no, I don't think it, it's a good idea for, you know, a former president to come down, you know, and visit a current president or or whatever. He's like, it's just unseemly. Yeah. But I guess the real falling out, and there are people debate about why it happened, but uh, the people that the experts that I spoke with, one of them at least thought that it was the firing of Gifford Pinchot, who had been TR's chief of forestry. Mm. That was the break. And then there were also issues with U.S. Steel and Taft went after U.S. Steel, which is a merger that TR had approved. And it was just like a whole mess. And then they were just at each other's throats for the rest of TR's life, basically. I feel like there was one time when they ran into each other somewhere 
And they like shook hands and kind of put on a show, but they were never close again after that. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. And I, I remember from the show, some of the like curses and, and, oh, and man. banter they had for mm. each other was kind of awful. But I mean, funny. awful, but also awesome. I know. No, no, it's, like, <laughs> it's like this old fangle. <laughs> like, like there's nobody who's better at crafting an insult than Theodore Roosevelt. And, you know, Taft got some good ones. He called him a puzzle wit and a fat head and uh, brains less than a guinea pig. And I mean, he would know because his children had so many guinea pigs. But, you know, his favorite or my favorite insult of his is he called William Jennings Bryan a professional yodeler, a human trombone, <laughs> which is like... A human trombone's pretty a great. human trombone. <laughs> it's so good. So, you know, I just look for excuses to use that all the time. There's so much good stuff there. We need to pause more with Aaron after this break. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, Time ends. Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm JB Smoove, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of. A degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So we're here with Aaron McCarthy of Mental Floss talking about Teddy Roosevelt. So I, I do want to talk about, I'm sure you get asked about the story all the time, the, the one about the bear, but mm. but the thing I didn't realize was in the uh, chronology, what had happened right before, right? Mm. Like, uh, okay, can you talk a little bit about that? Theodore Roosevelt went on this bear hunt, and it was partially to sort of smooth feathers over because he had had Booker T. Washington over to the White House for dinner. And back then, it was just really not considered proper to have dinner with a black man because it basically meant that you were saying that this black man could marry your daughter. Hmm. TR just kind of didn't really care about that. Or he, when he went out to send the invitation, he was like, he hesitated for a minute. And then he was like, no, I got to send it. 
Like, I can't, I'm ashamed. I can't mm-hmm. believe I hesitated. So he sends it. Booker T. Washington comes for dinner. He has dinner with the whole Roosevelt family. Mm-hmm. And it's like a, a working dinner too, but, you know, the kids are there and and Edith is there, uh, Tier's wife. And then the next day, someone put it in the paper and it was just... Chaos. Chaos. Yeah. I was going like to, I was going to use... An expletive, but <laughs> I was like, what's the word that doesn't have Human an combo. expletive in it? Yeah, it was pretty bad. <laughs> and actually, it never died down, really. I mean, people kept bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up long after TR was out of office, mm. um, basically up until the day he died. Did he feel like he'd made a mistake or no. how did he? No. He was just comfortable with it. Um, he never talked about it again, mm. and he never invited Booker T. Washington to dinner ever again. Sure. So, But, you know, I, afterwards, he sent a letter that was basically like, I don't understand why everyone's so upset and, you know, I'll have him back to dinner anytime I want. And then he just never did because yeah. I think he realized that politically it was a little bit of a risky move. Sure. Um, and he was always very attuned to... Well, um, image, it sounds like. His, his right. image, yeah. And I mean, I I don't know if he cared so much about his image. Like, I, he was very... Um, progressive, you know, like he fought against segregation mm-hmm. in New York when he was governor and he certainly appointed a few African Americans to prominent positions, but you know, it just became such a thing mm-hmm. that I think he was kind of like that I'm sure it slowed policy and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, and it, you know, he then had to go smooth feathers. Is that a phrase? Mm-hmm. I think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm making things up. <laughs> For birds. You know, so he went down there to to try to make amends. A little bit. Um, and so what, what's he do? He, he goes down to Mississippi? He goes down to Mississippi mm-hmm. on a bear hunt. Mm-hmm. And they're led by this legendary bear hunter who supposedly has killed thousands of bears. It's mm-hmm. probably more like a few hundred, but sure. thousands of bears. Apparently, TR from the start was like, this is bad news because there are a million people with us. And, you know, this isn't really a bear hunt. His perception of hunting was you know, you go out with a few dogs or you go out on your own and, right. and you know, you do it that way. But there were a whole bunch of people with them. And so he was like, this is not my version of it, but he went ahead mm-hmm. and did it anyway. He, it was at the invitation of the governor of Mississippi or one of the senators. But so he goes down there and he's, everybody has shot a bear but him. Um, <laughs> and so he comes back to the campsite and they've tied up this this kind of sickly bear that has already killed some of the dogs. And they're like, here's a bear for you to shoot. Oh, God. And T.R. was like, no, I won't, I won't do it. Yeah. This isn't sportsmanlike. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's where the teddy bear comes from. Someone uh, from a toy company came to him and said, can we use your name for this teddy bear? And he said, sure, okay. Um, and then it became a thing. But I think what most people don't necessarily realize is that it's not like they let the bear go. Somebody else killed it with a knife. Oh, God. That's so, so awful. I know. It's like, ugh. Yeah. So I, I want to talk a little bit about his family because I'm kind of fascinated by his sister, Bamy, mm-hmm. and and how he relied on her. Can, yeah. can you talk a little bit about that? Basically, anytime he had a big decision to make, he would bounce it off of her, mm-hmm. which is wild, you know, because he's the president. And that was not really something that was done at that time. But she was very involved in his political career. She was always writing letters for him and Hmm. sort of making connections for him. And I think his sister Corinne also helped, but to a lesser extent, Mm -hmm. because Bamie was down in Washington. And uh, he just relied on her and her judgment a lot, which was rare for that time. Yeah. I I think in the show you said he referred to her as like the second White House or Mm -hmm. something. Yeah, her house. Yeah. It's the second White House. Which is crazy. Well, I I want to hear just a few of the like fun stories that maybe you haven't gotten to talk about on the show. Oh my God, there's, there's so much. I know. 
Okay, so we've kind of discussed a little bit about how the Roosevelts had this insane menagerie of pets. Mm -hmm. So Emily Spinach, obviously, was uh, Alice's pet garter snake that she would carry around in her purse. Um, Which Lowell's a fan of. Yeah, Lowell loves loves (laughs) Emily Spinach. Spinach. But my absolute favorite story about their pets is they had a, a bear a small black bear uh-huh. named Jonathan Edwards. The kids named it Jonathan Edwards uh, because of its Calvinistic tendencies. Uh-huh. But then also, I guess, Edith was somehow related to Jonathan Edwards. But they used to take it for walks. That's crazy. They had like a leash. It was a chain, basically, and they would walk it with a club. Mm. Uh, which with is, a club? Yeah. I mean, well, I guess it would get out of hand, of bear, yeah. you know, and I could see it getting out of hand uh, pretty quickly. And eventually they gave it to the Bronx Zoo. Huh. And when they did, TR was like, the whole household breathed a sigh of relief except for the dogs because the dogs loved to chase it. Um, and it would give them the thrill of the hunt. But yeah, I mean, they had so many, so many pets. He got a hyena, which he named Bill from some diplomat. They oh had, had a hyena for a little while, um, some lion cubs, a zebra. They had lion cubs? They had lion cubs for a little bit, yeah. That's crazy. A pig named Maud. Um, I know, the names are incredible, too. Really good names. Yeah. They had a badger named Josiah, which uh-huh. was a gift from from a little girl who named it after her brother. <laughs> and they would just carry this badger around. <laughs> and then all the guinea pigs, uh, who had names like Father O'Grady. So they were really, really good at naming animals. And I feel like if anybody out there needs an animal name, just look up what TR named his pets and uh-huh. go with it, because they were really good at naming animals. Yeah. So that's one story. It's funny. I I um I, I don't know if I told you this or not, but my my granddad was one of the heads of forestry in India and and he uh had a similar not entirely similar but but also ended up shooting animals because um yeah. you do in the jungles yeah. but 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 also um there was a bear that couldn't give milk and and was shot not my my grandfather but they found um because it was attacking like villagers mm-hmm. or something and they found the three cubs mm-hmm. and so my granddad brought them home and so my mom has no fear of animals because she had like a pet bear <laughs> like as, as a kid <laughs> they didn't have a club to to yeah. walk around with but suddenly played with a pet bear oh my god i <laughs> can't imagine like cats are about as wild as i can get yeah it just seems a little intense <laughs> So, yeah. Uh, one of the things I had no idea about until I heard your podcast was um, that Roosevelt lived in North Dakota for a while. Mm-hmm. So well, why why does he end up there? Yeah, so he, uh, I believe in 1883, mm-hmm. he went out to the Dakotas to go hunting for bison. Mm-hmm. So he basically had a list of big game animals he wanted to hunt and, and get trophies list. of, you know, yeah. yeah, YOLO. And so he went out <laughs> to the Dakotas to hunt bison and he he gets one but while he's out there he is staying with these cattle ranchers and so he's having discussions with them and uh and he decides he's going to invest in a cattle ranch pretty impulsively because mm-hmm. what what does he know about cattle ranching literally nothing but he's like whatever I'll just throw some money at this and sure. and uh and become an investor so he's he gets this cattle ranch and then um in 1884 his wife and his mother died on the same day uh which was horribly traumatic yeah. as you might imagine um, his first wife, Alice, uh, who is Alice's mother. Mm-hmm. And so he goes back to the New York State Assembly and he's got, he has kind of like a rough last term because the Mugwumps, which is a faction um, of the Republican Party, wanted him to support the Democratic nominee for governor and not the Republican nominee for governor because the Republican nominee was super corrupt. Mm. 
NTR made some comment that ended up getting out into the press, and it was like a whole big mess. And so after his term was done, he was like, this isn't for me. I'm going to move to the Dakotas and become a cattle rancher. Mm -hmm. And so he just like up and moved to the Dakotas. Uh, he bought another ranch that was more solitary. He The first ranch he invested in was uh, called the Maltese Cross Ranch, and it was sort of on a thoroughfare out of town. I mean, as much as of, of a thoroughfare as you can have in the Dakotas at I that know, time. I know, that's but, what I was thinking, yeah. But, you know, it was pretty, people would come Trafficked. by. And, you know, he was like, I don't, I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I kind of just want to be by myself. And uh, so he heard about this other uh, parcel of land that was 35 miles away from Medora, which was near where his other cabin was. And so he bought the rights to that land for 400 bucks, built a cabin out there. Mm -hmm. And he lived out there uh, off and on for a few years. He was never like fully, fully out there, but he did intend to go out there and stay there permanently. Huh. It just didn't work out that way because people were still pulling him back to New York. You know, like when he moved to the Dakotas, he left his daughter Alice with his sister Bamie. And so he would go back to see her and sort of take part in political things. And then he met or reconnected with his childhood sweetheart, Edith Kermit Corot, who had become his second wife. And so he was back and forth a lot. So he didn't move out there permanently, mm -hmm. but he was out there for quite some time. And I think yeah. one of the the funniest stories, he bought this buckskin suit, fringed buckskin suit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, his thinking was, oh, it's it's really soft and comfortable and and, you know, you can wear it and move through the brush and it's really quiet. But people in the Dakotas didn't really wear that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, I'm sure they don't dress that fancy. And so he shows up in this <laughs> in this getup pretending to be a cowboy basically. Uh-huh. And they're like this dude from New York. And he also had glasses which at that time people took as a sign of weakness so sure. they would pick on him and then he would just pop him right in the face and they would realize like oh well shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and he was like a boss man mm -hmm. out there. And so he was never quite I think the cowboy that he portrayed himself to be, mm -hmm. but he also wasn't a person who was afraid to get dirty. So he would spend 13 hours out in the saddle with the rest of his men um, and work really hard, just like, just like you know, the men. So they they really respected him. They came to respect him, not at first, but well, eventually. That, that's one of the questions I had is like, where does he feel most comfortable? Because he's obviously like, he grows up with wealth. He goes to an Ivy League school. He's in the army. He's, you know, like mm -hmm. they, he's... In so many different scenes, like, where is he most at home? I mean, I think he always felt the most at home in nature. Mm -hmm. You kind of see a pattern when any tragedy occurs in his life where he works himself to the point of exhaustion, mm -hmm. I think basically trying to keep himself from thinking. Mm -hmm. And then he just goes and he retreats to nature, and that kind of heals him. Hmm. After every major death in his life, that's, that's the, the pattern, pattern he yeah. follows. So I think he always felt most at home you know, when he was like in the dirt and the mud, you know, doing some kind of physical activity. One of the questions Gabe threw out to me is, uh, he wanted to know, is it true that TR once climbed the Matterhorn out of spite? True. So what's that story? I saw that question. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So on his first honeymoon, uh -huh. TR heard some British climbers uh, in the lobby of the hotel he was staying in, basically like bragging about it. Uh -huh. And so he just decided that he was going to summit the Matterhorn to show them that he could climb just as well as any Brit could. Uh -huh. And he did it. And, and the did. Matterhorn <laughs> is like is like a really difficult, like many it's people have died um, and of course, he had guides, but but he was pretty much an amateur. <laughs> he was just like, I'm doing it. Just um, that force of personality. It's, exactly. And, huh. you know, what's wild is that he was 
uh, still having asthma attacks at this time. I mean, he he kind of created this this myth that he defeated his asthma, which is not true. Um, yeah. He suffered from asthma for the rest of his life, for his whole life. But, you know, he basically was just like, I'm not going to let this stop me. Mm. I'm not going to show that I'm weak. Just the stories of his physical exertion make me, it's inspiring and also exhausting. Mm. He would go to Maine and just like climb mountains in moccasins when he lost his boot in a stream, <laughs> which is like not not an easy thing to do. Yeah. You know, or they'd he'd hunt caribou for 36 miles in the snow with just like a blanket. He was a crazy guy. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, one of the things I always hear um, Doris Kearns Goodwin say about him is that like he wanted to be the baby at every, you know, bris or whatever. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, um, you know, I, I feel like he was always the center of attention. Mm-hmm. How did he fair with being president and then not being president? Oh, not well. Mm. Not well at all. One of the experts that I spoke with, Clay Jenkinson, who's the founder of the Theodore Roosevelt Center, was basically just like after he left the presidency, he was the most unpleasant guy because mm. he just, he felt like he should be the guy. Hmm. What happened was in his second term, early on, he said, uh, I'm not going to run for re-election for a third term because people will be tired of me and, you know, two terms is enough. And uh, it's like a very stupid thing to do um, because people loved him. Yeah. Um, and he could have had a third term, but instead, you know, he said early on that he wasn't going to run again. And so at the end of it, he was like, nope, I said I wasn't going to run again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm done. Yeah. And then, you know, Taft kind of didn't keep up his reforms in conservation. He went after U.S. Steel. I think he also sort of apologized to the Colombian government for helping Panama pull off a coup so that Mm. the Panama Canal could happen. (laughs) He was just furious. Yeah. He was furious. And he really hated Woodrow Wilson, like, so much. His entrance into the 1912 presidential race is what led to Woodrow Wilson becoming president, and then he just hated Woodrow Wilson Mm. uh, for being a pacifist. So, you know, he just was... was Bitter. Bitter. So bitter. So mad. Yeah. He just really wanted to be president. You know, he always thought that he could do a better job. And I mean, maybe he could have. Yeah. Well, I I liked that you refer in one of your shows to his political style as big stick energy, which I thought was really funny. (laughs) I feel like that belongs on a T-shirt. Yeah, I I can't take credit for that. (laughs) My researcher, Michael Salgarolo, uh, came up with that and he was like, please use that. that And I was like, oh, I'm gonna. Um, So thanks, Michael. He wins a, a Nobel along the way, right? Yes. Uh, He was the first American to win a Nobel Prize of any kind. Uh Um, And it was partly for uh, his mediation between the Japanese and the Russians during the Russo-Japanese War, which some people call World War Zero because it was like an early mechanized war. uh, And they were killing each other in huge numbers. It had the potential to really sort of unsettle things in the Pacific. And so he stepped in and, you know, was sort of a neutral mediator, sort of not. There's this one great scene where he calls the Russian diplomat over to Sagamore Hill to tell him how he thinks he should negotiate. Mm-hmm. And he's playing tennis. And uh, he doesn't stop playing tennis while he's talking <laughs> to this Russian diplomat. You know, like in breaks from the game, he comes over and he says, well, here's what I think you should do. Here's what I'd recommend. And then he goes back to play some more tennis <laughs> and then he comes back. And <laughs> this went on for like 90 minutes. Can't have to imagine what, the Russian diplomat was thinking, he was like, oh, this guy's crazy. That's amazing. But, you know, that was that was his style. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I do want to hear, do you know anything about that uh, Dr. Seuss story? The, I do. Uh-huh. 
So I can't remember the exact date. I feel like it was 1918. Uh-huh. But Theodore Roosevelt went to this small town um, where he was going to hand out awards to Boy Scouts who had sold $1,000 worth of war bonds. Mm-hmm. And Theodore Geisel, a.k.a. Dr. Seuss, mm-hmm. was one of those boys. All the boys are standing up on stage. There are 10 of them. TR only has nine medals. <laughs> um, somebody messed up. Uh-huh. And so, you know, he's pinning medals on the lapels of all these kids, and he gets to Theodore Geisel. He doesn't have a medal, and he says, what's this boy doing here? The Boy Scouts master just like, didn't say anything. He just, like, ran Geisel off stage, and then apparently that gave Dr. Seuss stage fright for the rest of his life. That's incredible. I know. And, I know. and horrifying. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, it it makes sense. It would be so humiliating. And, you know, it wasn't his fault. It wasn't TR's fault. It was just, just a thing that happened. And yeah. uh, and there were, there were implications. <laughs> so tell me, have, have you been inspired by Teddy Roosevelt to change your life in any way? Or, or have, have you taken any sort of... Uh, inspiration from all these stories? I really want to try to be more productive and sort of block out my time. Like, I'm a big believer in a to-do list, but apparently that's not enough. Mm -hmm. That doesn't help you be productive enough. Uh So I think in 2020, I'm going to start blocking out my time Uh um, and seeing how how that goes. Or maybe I'll take up judo. Uh We'll see. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) (laughs) But no uh, carrying a badger around or... No, 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 no. Training woodchuck. No. I mean, my cat's... They're about all I can handle. I mean, Pearl kind of looks like a badger. Pearl so. Wolfie. Pearl Wolfie yeah. looks like a badger. So <laughs> An adorable cat. So She's the cutest. tell everyone where they can find the show uh, and, and what episode they should start with. Well, I mean, I personally think you should start from TR versus Weakness, which is the first one because it kind of lays the groundwork for everything that comes next. But um, in terms of my favorite episode, yeah, your favorite episode. TR versus Time is a big one. Um, I like TR versus language just because it gets into the whole simplified spelling debacle, which is one of my favorite stories of all time. Mm-hmm. TR versus corruption is really fun because I think you get a really good sense of the unusual style he used to take on corruption. Hmm. They're all kind of close to my heart, to be honest. And it's crazy. Everything he's involved in from like... Everything. Football to... <laughs> and I mean, like there's so much we couldn't even get into. Yeah. You know, like I could go forever but, you know, every time I said, like, let's add an episode. Like, no, 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 no. Yeah. National Tyler Parks, and Dylan were like, Aaron, you're crazy. Stop it. <laughs> Tear versus nature is real. I don't know. They're all fun. Yeah. They're all fun in their own ways. And yeah. I mean, I think what's... Um, they like children. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell make me choose. But, you know, I think what's what's good about this is that, you know, you read the biographies about TR and everybody kind of focuses on the thing that they want to focus on. Doing a podcast like this in this format has kind of allowed us to drop in and out of his life to feature different things. And I think it's actually allowed us to get into some of the not so great stuff, hmm. you know, and explore that in a way that I hope is enlightening and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll see well, it, it, how people it's a, respond to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really excellent series and and, and really, really fun. And, and uh, you can get History Versus from Mental Floss. Everywhere from uh, iHeart to Spotify to Stitcher to wherever you get your podcast. But um, what's next for the series? So we are looking at an explorer for the second season. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to say who. Uh-huh. I don't want to spoil it, but not the explorer you're probably thinking of. Huh. So that's fun. And then for the third season, I have an author I'd like to feature. Awesome. And we'll see. And there's kind of a Theodore Roosevelt connection to all, to both of those. Nice. Um. I mean, of course there is. I mean, yeah, like 
He was involved <laughs> in literally everything. <laughs> so. Well, Aaron McCarthy, thank you so much for being here. That's it for Part-Time Genius this week. We'll be back next week with an episode on elevators, I think. It's going to be great, I promise. And in the meantime, from Will, Gabe, Lowell, and me, thanks so much for listening. Part-Time Genius is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.